I want to ask you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. Luke 1, verse 26 to 38. And the theme for this morning's message is a prophecy about Christmas. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Our Father, we come to you after a week of hard work and also weariness to an extent, Lord. This has been a difficult year and a long year with lockdown and COVID. And also as we see the increasing sin around us. And you warned us, Lord Jesus. When lawlessness increases, the love of many will grow cold. We pray that you would protect your people, protect us as your people also, protect this congregation and these, your children. And please help us to take in the word and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. What is the greatest miracle in the Bible? Some of you might say creation. Uh, others might say the opening of the Red Sea. Or others might refer to some of the miracles of Jesus. Uh, perhaps some would go straight to the resurrection of Jesus. But I want to suggest, at least that in my opinion, I think the greatest miracle of all is God become man, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Uh, Thomas Watson says that man should be made in God's image was a wonder, but that God should be made in man's image is a greater wonder. That the Ancient of Days should be born. He who thunders in the heavens should cry in the cradle. That he who rules the stars should suck the breast. That a virgin should conceive. That Christ should be made of a woman. And that of that woman which he himself made. That the branch should bear the vine. That the mother should be younger than the child she bore. And the child in the womb greater than the mother. That the human nature should not be God, yet one with God. This was not only a surprise, but a miracle. Christ taking flesh is a mystery we shall never fully understand till we come to heaven. So let's look at this miracle, at least, yes, where it's foretold in, in Luke 1 verse 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But 
she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Number one, we're going to look at Jesus' mother. So everything, all these points are in connection to Jesus, in connection with Jesus. Jesus' mother, and that is in verse 26 to 30. So a, a very famous a classical music piece called Ave Maria, uh, Franz Schubert wrote the music to that. And apparently it's based on Luke 1 verse 28, where the angel appears and he greets Mary, he gives this blessing and this greeting. And yet, this, the words of the song is not really based on this verse because it's not biblical, the words written to the song. Here the words translated into English. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and in the hour of death. Amen. Now that is not in the verse. Mary is not a mediator. She is not someone who brings us to God. She is not someone we should pray to. Rather, Mary is privileged because she would be the mother of Jesus. So here's Elizabeth. In last week's text, in verse 24, we see, we see that she hid herself for five, five months after she conceived, after she became pregnant. Now this is month number six for her. Of her pregnancy, verse 26, and then again in verse 36. She's six months pregnant now. And so in that six months, she's the mother of John the Baptist, remember? Here we see the angel Gabriel appear to Mary, just as he appeared to Zechariah in the previous passage, uh, John the Baptist's father. So here again, the same angel now appears to Mary, according to verse 26. And he comes to a Town, it says a city, but city really, there's no Greek word for town. So it's a town, it's a small town in Galilee, in the north of Israel, the northern part of Israel. And the town is called Nazareth. Now, just like Brackpan has got a reputation, so Nazareth has a reputation, according to John 1 verse 46, where Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Or Jesus is called the Nazarene according to Matthew 2.23. It's like a, a mocking him and scoffing at him. 
And so Nazareth is not a very important place. Mary is not a very important person. She's not really special. She's just a normal girl engaged or betrothed to a man called Joseph, verse 27. She's a virgin. She's never had sexual relations with a man. And she's probably only 13, 14 or 15 years old, uh, as was the normal age for girls to be engaged, to get engaged in those days, in those times. And so her fiancé, uh, Joseph, he's from the line of David. He's from the house of David, verse 27. So in other words, he's the rightful heir to the throne. He's the rightful king of Israel, supposed to rule as king in Israel, but obviously he couldn't be king because um, there's a Roman Empire and the Romans rule. And yet his bloodline is very important. So yes, he is not... He's not Jesus' biological father. We learn that from Luke 3.23, and we understand that. And yet he, he would have then adopted Jesus as his own son. And so Jesus then, too, is the rightful heir to the throne of David. And then just to throw this in, Mary, too, is from the line of David. We learn from Luke chapter 2. And I'll say more about that later on. But for now... We need to ask, how do we apply these verses to ourselves? And I think the application comes by saying, God chooses normal people that live in not well-known places, just normal people He uses to do His work. So He uses clay pots to show His treasure to the world. He doesn't need great people. He doesn't need important people. But what He does is very often He... He chooses those who are weak on purpose. He purposefully chooses the weak so that he will get the glory and we will not get the glory. So that we cannot boast in ourselves, as the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us. So don't feel like a failure just because you're not rich or famous or someone important. God can use you just like he used Mary. And then there's another reason why he chose this unimportant virgin, this girl, this woman, Mary, and that was to show that Jesus humbled himself from the very beginning, the moment he came down from heaven to earth, even at the moment of conception, even in his mother's womb, he humbled himself. She's a nobody. He chooses a nobody to bring him into the world. So he, as the Son of God, remember Jesus had all the riches and glory of heaven, and he left the riches of heaven and he became poor so that we might, by his poverty, might become rich. He came as a servant. He came as a slave so that we can sit with him on his throne. Revelation 3.21, Philippians 2 verse 6 to 8. He became a slave. Thomas Watson again says, Christ was born of a virgin that we might be born of God. He took our flesh that he might give us his spirit. He lay in a manger that we might lie in paradise. He came down from heaven that he might bring us to heaven. So Luke 1 really is not about Mary. Luke 1 is about Jesus. Mary is just the instrument God used to bring the Savior into the world. And so yes, the angel does greet her as the blessed one. As he says, he says in verse, verse 28, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Verse 30, do not be afraid. You found favor with God. Yes, you are the one who has received favor. That's important. It doesn't mean she's the one who gives grace. It means she's the one who receives grace. 
Now, she didn't understand this, and that's why in verse 29 she's very confused. Doesn't understand the greeting. She's actually a bit concerned and worried and upset. What does this mean? And perhaps you feel like that. Perhaps you feel, why did, why did God choose me? Why me? I'm, I'm so unimportant and I'm a sinner. And the answer to your question is why he chose you is because he wanted to. He didn't, he, he didn't choose you because you are irresistible or you're something extraordinary or something extra special. No, Romans teaches us Jesus Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. And so God chose you and God saved you because He is special, not because you and I are special. Now usually we love someone because they are lovely, they are lovable, there's something in them that is lovely and something that draws us. That's not how God's love works. God loves us in spite of the fact that there is nothing lovely in us. Nothing. We are sinners, we are wretches, we are hopeless, we are lost. And yet He loves us. And why does He love us? Deuteronomy 7 verse 7 and 8 basically says, He loves us because He loves us. God loves us because God is love. And I hope that helps you if you are one of those who think, well, the Lord cannot love me. I am too evil. I am too sinful. My sin is too great. I've sinned too much. I've really messed up. There is more than enough grace in this fountain to quench your thirst. There is more than enough grace in this fountain to purify you of your sins. Come, come, let us reason together. Though your sins were like scarlet, they shall be white as wool. If they are as uh, purple, as deep purple, or a very deep red, they will become white as snow. There's a fountain and we can be washed in this fountain as... Zechariah 13 verse 1 says, Be cleansed of our sins, a fountain filled with blood, says the hymn writer William Cooper, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. There's more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Where grace, sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. And so the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sins. So if you, if you would simply ask, the Lord will cleanse you. He will purify you. He will wash you. And He will do this because of who He is, not because of who you are. Number two, Jesus' identity. That's verse 31 to 33. Many years ago, uh, in a sermon by John MacArthur, I heard this illustration where he says, that a, a young man with Down syndrome came to him after the service and said, Well, Pastor John, you said in your sermon that if we believe in Jesus, we must be baptized. And I believe in Jesus, I want to be baptized. And so John MacArthur sat down on the stairs at the platform and uh, he said he first wanted to test this young guy to see what does he understand of the gospel. And he said to him, uh, Ronnie, tell me. Who is Jesus Christ? And he said, Ronnie wrinkled his nose and he said, What? You mean to tell me you don't even know that? <laughs> oh, well, in the verses before us, Luke teaches us who Jesus is. So Jesus is truly man. So the angel says to Mary, You will become pregnant, you will conceive, and you'll give birth to a son. Verse 31. So if, if Jesus is born of a woman, 
then it shows he's truly man, just like we. We are. We, we, all of us were born of a woman. And Jesus was born of a woman. Galatians 4 verse 4 tells us the same. And so because he's truly man, Jesus understands your temptations. Jesus understands your problems. Jesus understands your trials. We read this in Hebrews 4.15. He was tempted in every regard or every way just as we are, yet he was without sin. So he can sympathize with us. He knows how to overcome those temptations. He knows how to help you with those problems. And then also Jesus is the Savior. In verse 31, you'll call his name Jesus. That's what the name Jesus means. It's a Greek name and it means Yahweh saves or the Lord saves. Uh, the, the Hebrew equivalent is Yeshua or Joshua, means the same. And so we read in Matthew 1 verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So does it feel to you perhaps, and at times, and maybe even now, it feels to you, you you're down on the ground, you man down, and sin has got its, its uh, fingers around your throat, choking you, and it feels you just cannot conquer the sin. Well, Jesus can conquer your sin. Jesus can overcome your sin, even though you cannot. And so keep on praying that because of the death of Jesus on the cross, he would forgive your sins. Keep on praying that sin would lose its grip, that he would break the grip of sin in your life. And do not stop asking until God answers your prayer. And then do not forget to thank him when the answer comes. Furthermore, we see Jesus is the Son of God. So John, in verse 15, John the Baptist, he would be great before the Lord, but Jesus would be greater in verse 32, because Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. He's the Son of the Most High. John the Baptist even said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He is before me, though he was born after me. So if Jesus is the Son of the Most High, we can actually say, in other words, he is God himself. He himself is God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. So this is how the Jews would understand it when you speak of Jesus as the Son of God. They would understand He is claiming to be God, and that's why they wanted to stone Him and kill Him in John 5, 17 and 18, John 10, 33 and 36. And so if Jesus is the Most High God, if Jesus is Himself God, then you and I owe Jesus Christ the same honor, the same worship we owe to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. That is why Thomas bowed before Jesus and worshipped him, my Lord and my God. That is why Jesus taught us in John 5 verse 23, <coughs> that all of us should honor the Son as we honor the Father. And that is why we cannot with Hillsong and with Jesus' culture, bounce like rabbits when we worship the glorious Christ. That is why we cannot, with modern youth, youth culture, say that He is a cool Jesus and awesome and amazing and Jesus rocks. Now, Jesus is awesome and Jesus is amazing, but not in the way that young people, that many young people mean it. Jesus is awesome and amazing in this sense, that no one in heaven takes the name of Jesus upon their lips without the deepest reverence and fear and awe. And also in hell, Satan and demons tremble at the name 
of Jesus Christ. And you and I also, the day you and I see Jesus face to face, you will fall on your face, you will lie flat on your face, and you will fully and truly know that this is not the genie Jesus of the prosperity gospel. You will know this is not the sissy boy Jesus of some people's theology, this Jesus who passively waits that you must, you must accept Jesus. You must invite him into your heart. And he's a gentleman and he will never take away your so-called free will or interfere with your free will. Listen, the Jesus of the Bible is not just a man, he is God. He is the Jesus whose strong carpenter hands touched sick people and healed them. And it's those very same hands that were nailed to a cross to save us from our sins. And it's the very same hands that created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And then also Jesus, if we try to say who is he, his identity, he is the king. So the, the father made a promise to his son that he would anoint him as the king. The king from the line of David. Verse 32, he'll be great, be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And that all comes from Old Testament prophecy, 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 132, Isaiah 9 verse 6. And it's fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the one. He is the Messiah from the line of David. He is the anointed king. And so the father appoints him to rule over the house of Jacob. Verse 33, he will reign forever. Reign over the house of Jacob forever. And yet he's not only the king of Jacob. He's not only the king of the Jews, as was said when he hung on the cross. Or Nathaniel said, you're the king of Israel. He's also the king of all kings. He's the king above all kings. He's the king of all the nations. Psalm 22, 29. His kingdom will stretch from shore to shore and his glory will fill the earth. And then also this kingdom, it stretches over all times. It's an eternal kingdom, verse 33. There will be no end to this kingdom, as Daniel prophesied in chapter 2 and Daniel 7. And Hebrews 1, verse 8, we read this in Revelation 11, verse 15 and 22, verse 5. It's an eternal kingdom. There will be no kingdom after his kingdom. There will be no heir to his throne, because he himself is the eternal king. And so swear your loyalty to him and live under his righteous rule rather than building your own little kingdom where you and your plans and your successes and your money and your dreams and your career and your decisions where those things become the center of your little universe. If you want to know why you should not build your own little kingdom, please just look around you at the chaos in South Africa. Look at countries where communist, communists rule. Look at countries where Islam rules. And you will understand why you should not build your own little kingdom. That will be the consequence. And you will very quickly understand why Jesus should be the center of the universe and we should not.
Number three, Jesus' birth, verse 34 to 38. So uh, by this time, it shouldn't be news to you that, that liberal theologians, they deny the virgin birth of Christ, just like they deny any supernatural thing we find in Scripture. And I want to say, oh, shame. Oh, shame. Poor Jesus. Poor Jesus who cannot do anything. He's so impotent. He's so helpless because some clever German decided that the Bible is wrong. Listen. The Lion of Judah is not afraid of the sick dog of liberal theology. According to the angel, in these verses, the Messiah would be born. He would be conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Now, she, she wasn't unbelieving like Zechariah. Zechariah was unbelieving in verse 18. He wanted a sign. Mary's not unbelieving. Mary simply wants to know, I believe this. It's kind of she's saying, I believe this. I just want to know, how is this going to happen? In verse 30, say, how? How will this be? Because I'm a virgin. I, I, I'm not married to Joseph yet. Uh, we haven't had sexual intercourse, sexual relations, and we're not going to have. So you saying, I'm going to conceive a baby in my womb now, how's this going to happen? And then the angel answers in verse 35. He basically says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. The, the, the Most High God will work powerfully and invisibly in your womb. So that you conceive, you become pregnant. The virgin shall conceive, says Isaiah 7. And so the, the choice of Luke's words here, and the choice of the angel's words where it says the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. This shows that the teaching, this doctrine of the virgin birth, it did not come from pagan mythology as some people believe where you have these gods and they sleep with women they have sexual relations with women and then you have demigods who are born people like Hercules for instance in, in Greek mythology nowhere does the Bible give us the, the slightest idea even that Jesus is half God, half man the Bible teaches Jesus is truly God and truly man fully God and fully man two natures in one person and then also furthermore Furthermore, we read that Jesus was sinless. Not just sinless in his life, but sinless in his nature. That, that's why he's called, in verse 35, he will be called holy. So he is holy. He does not inherit a sinful nature from Adam as we do. Jesus is holy. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26, we read the following. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Now, who is he? Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Jesus is sinless. We are not like that. We are born in sin. Psalm 51 verse 5. We are born with a sinful nature. That's why even babies die. Romans 5 verse 12. Uh, Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 3. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We followed the world. We followed Satan. We were by nature children of wrath. And so that's why it was necessary for Jesus to be born as the Holy One, as one without a sinful nature, because if he was born with a sinful nature, he would have had to die for his own sin. But now he doesn't. He dies for our sin. And then also, it was necessary that he, would, that he had to be both God and man. 
God and man so that he could bring the two together. So that he can recon- could reconcile God and man. Because Jesus himself is both. He lays his hands on both sides. As God, he represents man with God. And as man, he represents God with man. Or the other way around. But you understand. And because no one else is God and man, there can be no other mediator. There can be no other go-between than Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so we do not pray through a human priest. Like the Catholics do. We do not even pray through a Protestant pastor. To say, please, your prayers are more power than mine. We don't do that. We do not pray through Mary, or through the ancestors, or through angels, or through saints. Through believers who are already in heaven, or as the Catholic Church believers believe some special Christians. We come to the Father directly to Him because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. I hope you heard that clearly. We come to the Father. And it was the Father in the very first place. It was the Father who planned to save us by sending Jesus to this earth. And so do not think of the Father as this angry God who just wants to punish you all the time. Do not think, I'm bothering God. Oh, it's trouble for him. He's going to have to take this trouble to help me. God took the initiative to save you. God took the initiative to send Jesus to this world, to send His Son to die for your sins. And so why would, why would it be trouble to God and troublesome to God to help you? He who did not spare His own Son, how will He not also with Him also freely give us all things? Is there, is there something too great? Something too great that God cannot do? Verse 37 says, that all things are possible with God. All things are possible. He, he made the, the heavens and the earth with His mighty arm and his, his right hand. He can do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Is anything too hard for God? With man it's impossible. With God all things are possible. Did, didn't God cause Elizabeth to fall pregnant? Didn't God do a miracle that year a barren woman and an and an really aged woman, an old woman, her and her husband, they couldn't have kids, and they can have children, verse 36. What is impossible with God? Was it not God's work to do a miracle in Mary's womb, in a virgin's womb, that the sinless Son of God and Son of Man would be born from her, born of Mary? So bring your crisis to the Lord. It is easy for God to solve your troubles. Verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. Simply acknowledge, I'm your servant. I want you to fulfill your will in my life, Lord. Your will be done. Verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And if you do that, well, then the angels will be content. The angels will be content and say, wonderful. This is what they do and they should do. And they'll praise the Lord with you. 
Verse 38, and the angel departed from her. The angel is happy. He's delivered the message and Mary has submitted to God's will. Wonderful. And the Father himself, God the Father himself will rejoice over you. Because you are willing, like Mary, you are willing to make or to honor and acknowledge the name of the Son of God and to glorify him. Now she did so by bringing the Messiah into the world. We do so by believing in him. By loving Him, by obeying Him, by praising Him, and by telling others of Jesus. Just like a good father, a good father, any parent, any good father, he's really happy if you help his children. That pleases him. You've seen parents, they, they'll bring you gifts because you did something nice for their kids. And in the same way, our Heavenly Father is really glad when you honor the name of His Son. And He will smile over you and embrace you and bless you. And you receive you into his presence and welcome you into his presence. You see, because Jesus is his beloved son. And so anyone who is a friend of Jesus is a friend of the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love your son. We want to honor your son. And by doing this, we want to honor you, Father. We want to honor the Holy Spirit, for the Spirit also came to glorify Jesus. We give you all the glory and praise. What a mighty work. How can it be that the eternal God becomes a human, becomes man? We praise you. We worship you. We give you glory and praise now into the day of eternity. And then forever and ever. Amen.